it's going to fit well into our study tonight, believe it or not. And uh, the prayer, Brother Andy, uh, I, I think we're on the same wavelength tonight, and I'm glad to see that. Uh, it's a blessing from our Lord. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 tonight. We're going to title our study tonight, Establishing the Church. This is something on the heart of the Apostle Paul, as we will learn from what he wrote in this important chapter. As we consider these points verse by verse, we need to remember that this letter is just as much uh, to us here at Providence Church as it was to the church at Thessalonica. Uh, sometimes we read the Word of God in an abstract way. Well, that's about them or to them or for them, but it's for the people of God in every age and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to be established. We're going to have to follow certain patterns that are in the Word of God itself. The Apostle Paul writes in verse 1, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you three things. Notice, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Now, the Apostle Paul at this point in time is at Athens. He's... Uh, uh, ministering where he can but he had been in Thessalonica and ministered unto those people according to Acts chapter 17 and you remember they ran him out of town uh, you know the apostle Paul when he was uh, in those historic places uh, you know when he would be going to these places he wouldn't be looking at the palaces and the, the squares and and all of the tourist uh, attractions of the day the first place he'd look is at the jailhouse because he felt like pretty soon he would visit it, you know. The Apostle Paul uh, was a warrior, and he had a warrior mentality. And, uh, and God was using him in a mighty way uh, all throughout his ministry. And he's, he's uh, longing to know the condition of the church at Thessalonica after he had departed there and went to Athens and, and uh, of course, to Corinth. And he's writing this early letter, and he's telling them, I'm longing to see you. I, I would love to come, but, I, but, but, but my presence among you would be more of a hindrance than a blessing. So I'm going to send Timothy. And T Timothy goes uh, to Thessalonica, and he finds out that the church is, the young church is doing well, but they need some encouragement. And the Apostle Paul says, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to establish them. I want to establish. I want to encourage them in uh, these ways. I, I want to establish them. I want to comfort them. And I want to address what might be lacking in their faith. Now, <clears throat> he's not talking about the faith that the Holy Spirit has given them to believe the truth. What he's talking about is the revealed body of truth in the Word of God. They had, uh, they had a good grasp of the essentials, the, a good grasp 
of the first principles of Christianity, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his imminent return. They, they had that, but, but the Apostle Paul wanted them to have a fuller understanding of the doctrines of grace. And so Timothy is going to be a part of that. He's a minister of God, and notice this, he's a fellow laborer. Isn't it wonderful when you see ministers of the gospel labor together without envy or jealousy of one another? You know, uh, one of the things I appreciate so much about Brother Bobby through his example in ministry through the years, he's never been envious of another brother. He's, he's always prayed for his brothers like he is me here tonight. And, and I, I just treasure that. I appreciate that so much. I want to take just a moment uh, to go to uh, one or two verses in the book of Acts out of the six or eight that we could turn to, I, I just want to drive this point home. The desire of the Apostle Paul is to establish the church. This was characteristic of the apostolic ministry. And this is characteristic of our ministry here tonight. Go with me first to Acts chapter 14, verse 22. We're just going to touch on this. Uh, I just want you to see this pattern as it was lived out in the ministry of the Apostle Paul and Timothy, later Timothy. In uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 22, we find the, you know, here, here's the Apostle Paul. They're, they're coming uh, through, and uh, this is what they're doing. In verse 21 and 22, And when they had preached the gospel in that city and taught many, they returned again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. And this is what they were doing. Confirming, confirming, the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. This is the, the truth of the gospel. This is the body of revealed truth found in the word of God to continue in the faith and that through much tribulation we must enter into the kingdom of God. The word confirmed there comes to us from a Greek word that means to strengthen, to make firm, or to stand fast. Isn't that good? This is what they were about. They were about establishing the churches in the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, go with me to chapter 15, verse 32. I want you to see this pattern. And here we are uh, in verse 31, which when they had read the, 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 this letter, they re rejoiced for the consolation. And Jude and Silas, being um, prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words, and here's that word again, confirmed them or established them or made them firm, caused them to stand fast. Love that. I love that. That's, that's the objective of preaching the gospel to the community of believers. All right, now let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. It's important for us to see the heart of Paul. He says, what, I, what I'm in, interested in is your establishment, your comfort or encouragement, and the full-orbed understanding of, of the gospel. 
verse 3, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are, were, are appointed thereunto. The Apostle Paul obviously had been told or the report had reached him that the church at Thessalonica was discouraged because of the persecutions against Paul. They thought, you know, if Paul was, was really a servant of God, he wouldn't be suffering like he suffered. If God was really pleased with what the Apostle Paul was doing, why in the world would he be going through all of these things? And why, everywhere he goes, they kick him out of town? There was some confusion about the afflictions that the Apostle Paul was called to endure. I want you to underline in your Bible tonight the word appointed. Now, this is something that a lot of people don't like to talk about. In fact, a lot of people want to ignore the fact that the sufferings of God's people are often appointed by God to, to uh, reach or to attain to a point that will bring glory to God. I, I, I think that it's important for us to understand that. That's why I wanted you to read Acts 14.22 because... He said, and we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, In the world ye shall have what? Tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You see it? Blessed are they who suffer for my sake. See, brothers and sisters, uh, uh, following Christ is not as easy a task as some people would uh, try to persuade us. It costs you something. It always does. And it always will. There's a cost to discipleship. And the Apostle Paul says, I want to write you a letter right now and let you know that the afflictions or the sorrows or the suffering that I'm enduring is not because God is displeased with me, and it's not because of, of the nature of what I'm doing that results in this suffering. But God has appointed particular suffering, especially in my ministry, on purpose for His glory. Let me give you an example. In Acts chapter 9, when the Apostle Paul was converted, remember what the Lord Jesus told Ananias about Saul of Tarsus. He is a chosen vessel unto me, and I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. See? He was appointed the sufferings, brothers and sisters. And, uh, and we could develop that uh, a lot, in, especially in the life of the Apostle Paul. Just study 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Look what he went through. Look what that man did suffer. But in all of that suffering, God was glorified. Because even the Apostle Paul, he says, the Lord hath given me a thorn in the flesh. What kind of a thorn, Paul? Satan, to buffet me, to beat on me. Has Satan ever beat on you? Did you know that Satan can't beat on you unless God allows him to? Did you know that? Did you know that the sufferings that you endure for the sake of Jesus Christ are sufferings that are appointed by God for His glory and your good. Amen. Isn't that amazing? Amen. 
And the Apostle Paul wants the church, not the young church, not to be discouraged because of his sufferings, not to be discouraged because of the afflictions that they themselves are going through, because God has a purpose for all of our sufferings. In uh, verse 4, For verily, when we were uh, with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation. And remember, the word tribulation means literally tight places, places where you're being rubbed, uh, places where you've been uh, filed down, uh, sanded, uh, to speak in carpenter terms. You know, when you have a rough piece of wood, you take sandpaper. And you use that sandpaper to smooth it out. Well, that's what tribulation and suffering does for God's servants. It smooths them out. Smooths out the rough edges, as we say. There's always a purpose. Verse 5. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labors among you, are in vain. Who's the tempter? Satan. Satan. Did you know that there's only two places in the New Testament where Satan is referred to as the tempter? And uh, this one, and then in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, when Satan came against Jesus after he had been in the wilderness 40 days, he, he came to tempt him, to tempt him, to test him, to, to draw him away from that sovereign purpose. And brothers and sisters, that is Satan's job. That's his thing. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, we are aware of Satan's devices. He has many tactics. He has many devices to draw God's people away from their uh, solemn purpose of worshiping him and uh, and serving. See, see, Satan uh, will distract us, and he has a multitude of uh, uh, ways in his arsenal. One of the greatest ways he, he tempts us is in the area of discouragement. Did you know that? The give up-itis. Well, it's all over, might as well give up. That's exactly the way he tempts us from time to time. And the Apostle Paul says, okay, he is the tempter, and, he, uh, and he's going to tempt you to give up. He's going to tempt you to uh, uh, walk away from the truth that you now know by God's grace. He's going to tempt you to do that, and I don't want that to happen. So what I want to do, I'm going to send Timothy to you to reinforce the things that I have been teaching you. And to tell you that it's worth it. It's worth the sufferings that you'll endure. Verse 6. But now when Timotheus, Timothy, came from you unto us. You see, Timothy had uh, gone to Thessalonica. And now he's come back and reporting to the Apostle Paul. And he brought us good tidings of your faith and charity. And that ye have good remembrance of us always. Desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. It, it's a mutual, it's a mutual benefit. Isn't it wonderful when we come to the house of God? We're able to see one another. We're able to not only be seen, but we're able to see one another. We're encouraged by. I told Brother Don when I got to the church 
uh, house this this uh, evening. He was here, uh, and he, uh, that's his custom to come and read the Bible and pray uh, for the service, and I, I so appreciate that in him. I says, Brother Don, you're just somebody I like to see. You you help me just just being able to see you. That's the way I feel about many uh, of our church members. I, I, I enjoy seeing them. I miss them when they're not here. See? And I hope I behave myself in such a way as you miss me when I'm not here. I don't want to ever hear of you singing, uh, Thank God and Greyhound, he's gone. I don't want to hear that because I'll repent. I promise. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to make it right. Well, the Apostle Paul had that kind of affection and love and, and drawing toward these precious brethren. And he says in verse 7, Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. The Apostle Paul was rejoicing that even in the midst of that persecution, even in the midst of that suffering, even when they didn't know exactly what God was going to accomplish through their struggles, their faith didn't waver. They still believed the truth. Brothers and sisters, the truth is precious. We can't compromise it. No matter how much we're tempted to, we can't compromise the truth of the Scripture. And the Apostle Paul is rejoicing that even though they're a young church, they're not willing to compromise the truth that he shared with them. Verse 7, Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you uh, in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. There's our word again. Confirmation. Confirmation. Remember how the Apostle Paul began the letter that he wrote to the church of Philippi. How he was ready for the defense and confirmation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, was, <laughs> he wasn't willing to waver one little bit. He wasn't willing to compromise one little bit. In, for the sake of uh, his uh, acceptance in um, different arenas. He says, I'm, I'm alive today. I, I'm rejoicing today because of the faith that you have stood in. You have come to believe in. You have been persuaded of. You're standing fast in the Lord. You know, the Apostle Paul loved that expression. He loved to use that word, stand fast. You'll find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, where he says, I want you to stand fast in the faith. There it is again, the faith, the revealed body of truth that is found alone in the scriptures. Jude put it this way in verse 3 of his epistle. He said that we should earnestly contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints. Paul loved to use the word stand fast. I looked up uh, in Vine's uh, Bible Dictionary, I looked up this word uh, earlier this week, and, uh, and I found this interesting. Uh, it, it's an expression as an army that refuses to retreat. Now, does that sound like you? I hope so. 
I think so. I believe we're there. We're, 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 we're unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to know that. I want everybody to know that. We're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. You see, there's power in the word of God. And the apostle Paul is rejoicing in that. I want you to stand fast in the faith. I want you to stand fast in the liberty wherein Christ hath made you free. Be ye not entangled again in the yoke of bondage which you nor your fathers are able to bear. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. Stand fast, my brothers, like an army that's unwilling to retreat in the day of battle. In 2 Thessalonians 2 15, he says, I want you to stand fast in the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or by epistle. Now, he's not talking about man-made traditions. He's not talking about what color of carpet we have in our church house in order to maintain an orderly walk of communion with other churches. He's not talking about what songbook we sing out of. He's not talking about how big our church house is. He's not talking about uh, things that are incidental and things that are peculiar to individual congregations, which, by the way, let me just interject this, I believe in the autonomy of each church. I believe that each church body has a right to govern its own affairs in, in its own way under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the, gospel, uh, the uh, scriptures themselves. This idea of a conglomerate of churches governing over other churches is unbiblical. The Apostle Paul said we need to stand fast in the traditions whether we have been taught by word or by epistle. Now that gives something there. It, it's talking about the word of God. It's talking about uh, the apostolic authority that, that we have when we preach the word. See, I'm not up here tonight uh, preaching um, uh, on my behalf. I'm, I'm not trying to give you my opinion. That, that's wrong uh, to do. Uh, we're, we're, we're here to study what God said through his holy apostles. That's the authority upon which the church must rest. Here it is. He says, I want you to stand fast in faith. I want you to stand fast in the true liberty that the Lord Jesus Christ has given us. As our Redeemer, I want you to stand fast in biblical tradition, not man-made tradition. There's a difference between tradition and traditionalism. Traditionalism, brothers and sisters, is the dead faith of living men, while biblical tradition is the living faith of dead men, men that have gone on before us. We're still maintaining the same teaching. Brothers and sisters, uh, Elder Jerry, Jerry Hunt just passed away. I want you to know something. I rejoice for him that he's in the presence of his master. But I'm going to tell you something. The gospel that he stood for, the gospel that he suffered for, the gospel that he spent his life preaching is going to continue to be preached until Jesus comes again. I believe that with all my heart. Somewhere in this earth, there's going to be a Bible-believing church and they're going to be preaching the true gospel. And I, after this plow boy uh, plows his last row, 
I'm rejoicing to know that the truth that God has revealed to my soul is going to continue to be preached and proclaimed throughout the nations. Hallelujah. I want to stand fast in biblical tradition. I want to stand fast. I want to be confirmed in the word of God. Verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. Oh, what a joy it is to the heart of a minister to see the people of God walking in the path of truth. In 3 John, verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to see or to know that my children are walking in truth. Oh, there's no greater joy for a pastor. There's no greater joy for a minister. There's no greater joy for a father or a grandfather than to see their children and grandchildren Believing and embracing the truth of Jesus Christ. No greater joy. <laughs> Listen to him. He's emphasized the word. The word of God is what establishes God's people. The word of God is what comforts God's people. The word of God is what strengthens God's people. The word of God is what confirms God's people. But there's something that has to go beside it. What is that? Prayer. Listen to him. See this pattern? Night and day, praying. You see it? Praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. See, prayer is such an important element of the New Testament church. In Acts chapter 6, verse 4, when they chose out those first seven deacons, the purpose for their uh, choosing out these men uh, according to Acts chapter 6 verse 4 is that we might give ourselves to the study of God's word and prayer. See, the word and prayer go together. If you have the word of God being preached without prayer, without prayer, you have truth without power. If you have a lot of prayer going on without the word, you've got a lot of heat without a lot of light. They go together. Prayer and the word of God. That's the example all the way through the New Testament. Prayer and the word of God. Prayer and the word of God. Prayer and the word of God. He's going to emphasize those things in every letter that he writes. And here he's saying night and day. Uh, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking concerning your understanding of the truth. If you're taking notes tonight, <laughs> I put a little note here. Faith without holes. Faith without holes. A better understanding of what God's grace is about. A better understanding of what the gospel is intended to accomplish in the lives of God's people. Then he says, Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. 
Do you realize, brothers and sisters, I, uh, in God's providence, He brings the preaching of the Word to a place on purpose. And when He brings that Word to that place on purpose, He's preparing a people to receive that Word. It, God is working on both ends of the line. He directs our way to you. Verse 12, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. If you're taking notes tonight, I just put a little note here. Love without limits. What do you say to that? Remember what Brother Paul was talking about? Love without limits. Not only am I praying that you have faith without holes, but I'm praying that you have love without limits. And I love the, I, I enjoy studying the one another's of the New Testament. Did you know that there's more than 30 one another commandments, positive and negative, in the New Testament? And did you know that the majority of those another's is talking about love? Little children love one another. By this shall all men, John 13, 35, John uh, John said, uh, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Because, because he, he's talking about agape love. He's talking about um, a sacrificial love, a servant love, a love that's uh, not uh, human, not normal, not natural. It's a spiritual love. And he says, I want you to have that kind of love without limit. <laughs> Isn't that great? And uh, verse 13, to the end, to the, to the end, uh, as the end goal, as the end goal, here you've got the word and here you've got the prayers, and, and here's our goal for you, that, that to the end uh, that he may establish. There's our text, isn't it? Establish your hearts. See, that's what God's about. That's what, that's what God's interested in. You know, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees never did figure that out. They could not understand why Jesus would be a friend of publicans and sinners. How could you dare love somebody that's a sinner when us holy people are over here waiting on you? Why don't you eat with us? We're the holy ones. Little did they know that he could see their hearts even when they couldn't. You know, Isaiah's lamentation was still so true and quoted by Jesus four times. This people have drawn nigh unto me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The apostle Paul says, you know what I want for you? I want you to be established in such a way that the love of the Holy Spirit, it's just super abounding. It, it's covering sin. It's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's covering frailty. It's uh, magnifying the perfections of Christ in the life of an individual. I, I, I want you to be His witness to this 
broken and fallen world to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable. And I'll put a little note here. You might want to write this down. Strength without flaws. I don't know about you, but I feel awful flawed most days. Especially when I'm driving on 385 and they cut me off with no blinker. Or pass me 180 miles an hour on the right side, on the shoulder. I mean, I don't even sit. You and you know your heart. And I'm, I, I, brother Don, I'm afraid I'm not thinking too spiritual about then either. No, my brothers. The Apostle Paul's words are, 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 are meant to reach a deeper part of us. And he says, I, I, I really want you to have this spiritual strength without the flaws of your human nature. 1 John chapter 2, verses tw verse 28 through chapter 3, verse 3. We don't have time to go there, but that's where I wanted to go before I close tonight. But listen to him. To the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness. I want you to have faith without holes, love without limits, strength without flaws. In holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to stop right there real quick. The word coming, parousia. He's talking about the uh, actual presence of Jesus Christ. You see, some people uh, have confused what coming means, the coming of Jesus Christ. Some people say, well, the Lord Jesus came in the destruction of uh, Jerusalem in 70 AD, which he did. He came in judgment against uh, Jerusalem. That's right. And, and I don't, I, I'm not disagreeing with that. But when he uses the word parousia, brothers and sisters, he's talking about his visible presence one of these days we're going to see the visible presence of Jesus Christ come again. And that's what he's talking about. And what it, why would he mention that at the close of every chapter? Why would he mention that? I believe there must have been some confusion going on in the mind of the Thessalonians about the coming of Christ. Just like there is today. But listen carefully, brothers and sisters, to what I'm about to say. At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. You see, brothers and sisters, we're going to see Brother Jerry again. And it's not going to be in that frail body that was sick and that weak condition but in a glorified body. I believe this with all my heart. Jesus Christ is coming again, but he's not coming alone. In 2 Thessalonians, he says he's going to come with his holy angels. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? But here the Apostle Paul says he's going to come with his saints. Why would that be such an interesting part of this letter to the Thessalonians? I believe this. I believe that they were confused about the Christians that had died before the coming of Christ. 
did they miss the resurrection, Paul? Because they're not here, but they believed in Jesus. Did they miss the resurrection? The apostle Paul is telling them, listen, you need to ha you, you've got it all wrong. See, because the death of the Christian is his entrance into heaven. He's with the Lord today. Uh, to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. I believe that's literally true. And when Jesus Christ's parousia comes again, guess what? Those that have gone before are coming with him. Now I'll tell you what, if that doesn't light your wood, brothers and sisters, your wood's wet. If that doesn't light your fire, if that doesn't give you an energetic boost, if that doesn't make your heart just flat out rejoice tonight, it's later than you think. You see, the doctrine of the resurrection is the keystone teaching that's so unique to the Christian message. The Hindus don't have this. The uh, uh, Muslims don't have this. The religions of the world don't have this knowledge. But the Christian church does. And Paul says we can't compromise it. One last thought and I'll close. What the Apostle Paul is doing for them and us tonight is bringing into focus. He's bringing a broad truth into focus like a microscope. He's bringing into focus the eternal reality that we have in Christ. You see, aren't you glad it, everything that we're going to experience is not here? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Aren't you thankful tonight that, that the sufferings of this present world are not going to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us, Romans 8, 18. Aren't you glad tonight that you have an eternal perspective even in the midst of suffering, even when uh, God in His wisdom would take away our loved ones from us, when we uh, surrender our father, our grandfather, our, our wife, our husband, our children uh, up in death? Aren't you glad that there's something beyond this veil of tears? The Apostle Paul is using that to establish you. God bless you. Thank you for your good attention. <laughs> yes, sir.